Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated's Game Pass Forever standalone segment. Thank you so much for joining us today. For August Game Pass Forever game, our benevolent overlords on Patreon chose Darkest Dungeon by Red Hook. For this discussion, we are joined by Hobbybox Joe Burns. Heyo! And the rogue hippo Pat DeGeest. Good to be back, Tom. Yeah, guys, let's talk about an RPG today. Darkest Dungeon has you exploring dungeons and fighting monsters to recover family heirlooms to restore your family estate. There are a lot of systems at work here, and we're going to go over them one by one in excruciating detail. Let's do this. We'll start with kind of the core gameplay loop. The main action of this game is dungeon diving, monster fighting, RPG goodness. You choose four heroes, select a quest undertake, and head off to one of the five dungeons. You get a map of the dungeon, but you don't know what hazards you'll encounter or where the enemies are. You choose a room to move in the general direction of, and then you move down a hallway from left to right. You can have up to two encounters in the hallway, including enemy fights, curio with various boons and banes, traps, or rubble that bar the way. When you encounter enemies, each of your heroes has four abilities, and it plays out a bit like a turn-based RPG. One character will take an action, then someone else goes, and then someone else will until either the enemies are obliterated or you throw your controller against the wall and rage quit. First question for you guys, what do we think of this core dungeon diving gameplay loop? Patrick, you've put the most time into this game. Let's start with you. Mostly uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it does get repetitive. I'll get on that later. But uh, I, I like the ability to customize your squad. Um, I like the different regions you can go to. There's the cove, which are kind of fish people, the warrens, which are pig people, the uh, the ruins, which tend to be, I think, undead. And the well, they're just, what are those, bandits? I don't remember what you mostly encounter there. I've never been there. <laughs> that has like it has some beasts in it and it also has like fungus dudes oh yeah yeah the fungus guys <laughs> yeah so there is a, there's quite a variety you know each location has kind of its own theme uh if you really really want to min max stuff you then of course can uh choose your heroes which heroes you take on that quest how you equip those heroes uh, to give your chance uh yourselves the best chance of success and uh <clears throat> I don't know. What did you guys feel about it? I think what, what's what's interesting about what's interesting about Dun Darkest Dungeon is that it, it, if you break it down into small chunks, it seems like a very simple game. But then it's how everything kind of meshes together that really is, is what complicates it or makes it more unique for each person that attempts it. Because whichever uh, whichever heroes you use in your party is going to change the way that you would approach a given mission and as you kind of progress through a different zone uh you unlock different types of missions that you're doing in there so at first it's as simple as it's a short mission where you're going through and you have to uncover 90 percent of the rooms and then you're gonna have to do something maybe that's a little bit longer where you have to uh, do all of the fights in every single room that has a fight in it before you can complete it. Uh, and then there's going to be the bosses that you have to take down. So like the, I think it's the Necromancer's Apprentice is the first one. And uh, you have to try to track that person down and kill them. And obviously they're at the dead end of the dungeon because you got to go through everything to get to the boss, right? And so I think 
there's those different ways that you're going through there. There's also some like special missions that you have to do to like purify altars, and I, I haven't actually done any of those because in the longest playthrough I had, I spent more time just trying to re-level up people as I kept dying a bunch. And then in the most recent playthrough, I was actually able to do a much better job of killing the things I needed to kill so that I was more focused on finding the bosses and trying to go after them with my party members that I actually was able to level up instead of having them die in horrible, terrible ways. So... Uh, but I think I think I think it's it's really interesting, and there's there's lots of times where you as a player have to make a decision to decide: do I keep pushing it, or do I cut my losses and go back? Uh, and even after you accomplish the goal within a given dungeon delve, you still then have to look at it. All right, there's a couple more rooms here. Do I try to see if there's more stuff there? Uh, but then you could end up falling afoul of things and get wiped or lose some guys in that last little push to, to of greed to get more stuff. If you like a pushy luck mechanic, it doesn't get much better than Darkest Dungeon. And to just poke at what Burnsy just said, for me, every time the mission is done, the mission is done and you get the hell out of that base. Like, you go back to base with every person that you have still intact. Like, it is not worth the risk of losing a character, specifically a healer, for a couple more heirlooms. But it's just one more room, you know? You just got to take that, that this is a few more steps, you know? I mean, these guys will be fine. They've made it this far. They can make it a little bit farther. Oh, my God, now they're all crazy. Oh, my God, now they're all having heart attacks. No. You did it to yourself, Burns. <laughs> I'll just say that the core gameplay loop, the dungeon diving in this game, is super fun. Patrick, I think you're crazy. I don't think it gets repetitive. There's a lot of different types of stuff to do here. You're crazy. <laughs> Well, I've got about 90 weeks into this game total, and at that point, it, it gets a little repetitive. <laughs> well, that's three times what I have, so maybe you're right, but I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, another thought I had on this, the concept of walking left or right down so many hallways does lag a little, but the assorted encounters keeps it fairly interesting. I mean, you go from room, then you walk down a hallway. No matter which direction you're progressing in the dungeon, north, south, east, or west, you're always walking left or right down that hallway, even if you're going... You just went from west to east. Now you're going east to west. You're walking left to right. So there's there's a lot of, lot of hallway strolling in this game. Uh, but I think they do a good enough job of mixing things up with the different mechanics to keep it interesting. Joey, you kind of touched on this. But one thing that stands about, out about this game is the permadeath. When your heroes die, they are gone forever. And the game will autosave as soon as somebody dies. So there's no cheesing the system. You can't, like turn off your computer real quick and then reload and get your save back. Like once your heroes die, they're gone. They're in a graveyard. You can look back at them with the tear at all the wasted resources, all the time you spent with them before they were wiped out by the fungus guy, before you even got to the freaking boss of the dungeon. <laughs> permadeath can be a very challenging uh, system in a game. How do you guys feel about permadeath in games in general and specifically how it's implemented here? I'm actually pretty big fan of permadeath in games as long as it fits what it's trying to do so for instance if we were playing a final fantasy game and there was permadeath that really wouldn't fit in with like more of a narrative focus type of thing like final fantasy is but like for fire emblem for instance that's one of the things i really enjoyed about the first fire emblem and fire emblem three houses is that you know you learn to rely on some of these people and use them strategically and if you that too far and you lose them they're gone 
Uh, and I think that's really good to have that, especially when there's that narrative crutch behind them. Interesting thing about Darkest Dungeon, I think, is even though there isn't that narrative crutch where it's like, oh, it's important to have this person around, it sort of is similar to what XCOM was, where you end up building kind of this relationship with that hero, and that I really like using this hero. This hero, I've leveled them up to this far. They're like my best healer. And if they die, I am boned. I, I hopefully am going to be able to recruit somebody from the stagecoach uh, right away in order to, for them to be able to heal. Uh, or, or otherwise, I am screwed because I don't know if I can make it through without having that crutch, you know? And so I think it's really good because it, it adds to... It adds to that whole push-your-luck-slash-strategy aspect of it, and to what extent can you try to be more aggressive, and to what extent you really need to cut your losses and say, okay, I'm not going to finish on this run. They'll take a little bit extra sanity damage, but they're going to go back, and and we'll, we'll lick our wounds and come back at this some other time. And so it really makes you debate as to what is your best option. And uh, I think that's I think that's good about the game. Uh on some of the harder difficulties, it's not so good. <laughs> it gets it gets really hard in that sense. Uh, and I don't know, don't accidentally play at harder difficulties than you should be. I think that would be maybe another thing we could touch on. Who would do that, Burns? I don't know. Who the heck would do that? <laughs> uh, uh, having been on the wrong side of uh, 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 permadeath and like Tom's campaigns... I'm a little mixed on it <laughs> in Tom's D&D campaigns, but uh, I'm generally in favor of it just because it, you know, it ups the stakes, which uh, makes everything feel a little more real. You know, that was, that's always one of my big problems with uh, like RPGs, Final Fantasy and stuff, where in the story, a main character would die and it's like, well, give him a Phoenix down. I, everyone in my party's died a hundred times. Like death isn't really real in a, <laughs> in most RPGs. So, so I really enjoy it in games like this and i uh i think i mentioned this last time we talked about this but i named all the characters in this after my friends and family so it really makes it hit home a little harder it makes you care a little more and uh it work harder to pr protect them and it, it certainly made me play better all right patrick so first off in our aliens episode we learned that you have recurring nightmares of xenomorphs killing your friends and family Second off, you knew what you were getting into in this game. You knew characters were going to die, and you still named them after your friends and family. Like, I learned after my first time playing XCOM that it was just too hard to do that. Like, I just, I wouldn't do that because, like, I can't bear, like, the stress in my real life of my friends and family dying, even if it's in a game. So what's wrong with you, Patrick? Why are you such a broken individual? Well, it works. I had, like, this current game, I think I'm in week 35, and I've had uh, one death. And I really think it's because these aren't just these, you know, generic named characters. Like, th these are people that I care about and I want to try to live. So it makes me put that extra effort into, you know, equip them right or, you know, check their attributes to make sure they, they match up for this mission. <laughs> it's really motivating, I found. So on, on, on my playthrough that was doomed, uh, I started naming characters after people I knew. But then I got to the point where I was like, Sitting there thinking, I was like, okay, uh, what does, which person does the abomination remind me of? And then I'm like, well, that's kind of mean. <laughs> and so then on my, my most recent playthrough, I started naming them after like literary or video game characters. And so the man at arms who had an eye patch was Nick Fury. 
uh, as Cecil was my crusader and my healer was Maria from Final Fantasy IV. And so I really, Jekyll was the abomination because I, that Jekyll and Hyde, you know? And so, and, and I still had that connection to the characters then from that point because they had a recognizable name. And uh, so I, I, I think that still added that aspect to it, but I think that is fun to do, that's for sure. I uh, I took an entirely different approach. In my head, they were tank, healer, damage dude, damage lady. <laughs> like, they were all party roles, and that was how I identified them. And then if, I, if and when I lost them, it wasn't as devastating, except for when my Vestals went down, because that pisses me off so much. So you, you went your norm of naming them after, like, anatomy pieces well that's more of like an rpg game for me like uh the first time i played uh chrono trigger i had a really funny name for the robot after the male genitalia and there's a part where they say the robot gets creamed and like it always just (laughs) (laughs) i was like the perfect implementation of it but uh no i didn't change anyone's name here like i didn't really pay attention to their names like each of the different if i had multiple of something they'd be different colors and that was good enough for me and like basically it was like all right, do I have a plague doctor that's not stressed out? All right, good, he's going in this slot. All right, do I have a tank that's not stressed out and is an appropriate level for this mission? All right, they're going up front. And I don't know, I just, I didn't take the time to customize it anymore because, like, I was invested in my characters, but I didn't want to be, like, hurt anymore when they died. I can, I, I can see that, then. That makes sense. And, and I, and like, honestly, I was struggling uh, that one time of trying to come up with names for them, so I stopped, too, after a while. But then it's like some of the names just for nonsense are hard to like make sense. Of. Like try hard to like understand how I would even say them if I wanted to. So then that's why I was like, okay, I'll do like the game character stuff because that makes sense. I think the concept of permadeath in games is super interesting in general. And it's something I've thought about going all the way back to high school. Way back in the late 90s, Patrick here got me into Ultima Online, a game where you could literally be as bad a person as you wanted to be. You could steal from other players on the internet. You could kill other players on the internet. And for some reason, after playing that game, I really wanted to have permadeath in an MMO. So, like, if you could take down the person who's killing all the other players, like, that character is dead and gone and they have to start over again. Uh, I didn't think about how, like, I suck at games and it would be a constant (laughs) pain in my backside to be massacred by these people over and over again. But generally, I like Permadeath. I think it's a good system. Uh, If it had been in a game like Dragon's Dogma, that would have been probably pretty frustrating. Like, the main character had Permadeath. Like, if the main character dies, it's game over. But, like, if the pawns... Well, I guess they did kind of die. You had to constantly go back to the Riftstone. So, all right. Good job, Dragon's Dogma. You're good at games, too. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing, is it all is... has to make sense within the game itself. And it can't be overly punishing uh and i think there's enough other systems of support where you can recruit more people and have like a larger stable of people as you level up the stage coach so i think there's enough around it so that it's not completely damning unless you're losing tons of people week after week i think a lot of what this game tries to do is force you to make the best out of a bad situation i think the permadeath really plays into that like, you could have a run turn bad and, like, suddenly one character's gone and you're trying to flee with your other three. Or you push your luck a little too much and you have an entire party wipe and it's just devastating. And I think the permadeath is perfect for this game. Like, the only the only issue I take with it is I think it would be a little... The permadeath would be a little less frustrating if you had a little bit more control over your party composition. Like, we'll get into how you recruit new heroes later, but, like, you don't always have all the tools yeah. at your disposal that you want. Like I never had enough of the Vestals, the best healers at my disposal. I think I had two in 28 weeks, which is 
Yeah. Kind of a rough draw. Yeah, no, that does become limiting. Um, So how many party wipes did you guys have in your playthroughs? Patrick, go ahead. Um, this, this round that I started for, uh, for the podcast, I had none. I, I think my first playthrough, I'm sure I had at least a couple. Yeah, this is actually my third playthrough trying to get ready for this show. When I made it 28 weeks, I had one full party wipe and it was against a boss where I pushed my luck just a little bit too much. I'll tell the story of that fateful party a little bit later. Yeah, I had two full party wipes. And then technically I just had a third one, but it was because there's a trophy for sending all zero resolve uh, like in your party to the darkest dungeon. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, we'll see how long they make it. I made it to the first room and they died. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go Are you that trophy way. hunting in this game? <laughs> well, I was just like, it's easy enough to get. And I had, oh, okay. At one point they gave me two antiquarians and I already had, a, I already had one. I was like, okay, well, I'll just try to get that with that. I had an extra shield bearer dude or shield breaker dude, and so whose name was Shredder. And so I had him and those two antiquarians and then a jester go into the darkest dungeon at level zero. And uh, yeah, they actually did better than I thought they were going to do. And it was interesting to see what the darkest dungeon had in store for me. But they're dead now, so. And they're dead forever. Thank you, Permadeath. As if managing your hero's health isn't enough, they can also be afflicted with various diseases, quirks, and personality issues. As they move through the dungeon, they'll also acquire stress, and when this hits certain thresholds, they get a new permanent like uh, personality trait. They can gain stress from enemies landing critical hits, from traps, from darkness in the dungeon, and from other jerk-face party members. Did you guys enjoy the stress system? Like It's a very unique thing for this game. Joey, let's start with your take on it. I mean, so really, like, in a lot of dungeon crawlers, like, HP is the big thing. You just gotta make sure my HP is up and everything like that. In Darkest Dungeon, it really is a sanity. Like, that's that's what's important. HP, you have lots of... You don't have lots of ways, but you have enough ways to be able to up your hit points. There are quite a bit fewer ways to be able to bring your stress down with different characters. There's some characters, types that have abilities to be able to mitigate damage to it. And there's sometimes, like if you go camping, you have the ability to be able to bring bring it down a bit for each character. But there really aren't items that help you get rid of it, uh, like the, the accrued stress. And so, yeah, that, that I think it's really cool because you have to do, you have to make sure that you have the materials with you to be able to mitigate it as much as possible. So you need to make sure that you have uh, torches. Like, you have to have enough torches to get you all the way through the dungeon. Otherwise, the darker it gets, the more stress your guys are getting, which means just it, it gets harder and harder. And when one person gets to that max first maximum level of stress and then gets their negative quirk, most likely, and that means everybody else is going to be gaining stress that much more because that person's mouthing off and making them more stressed. <laughs> and it just starts to it starts to snowball after that point. And so you need to make sure you don't get to that as much as possible. But I, don't, I think the stress stuff is really cool. And it makes it a lot of... It's just another system to that plays into the other systems of the game really well. And I think that's it's really neat as to how they did that. I think uh, I really like it. it. It makes 
it makes it more realistic. Um, again, kind of making fun of how almost cartoonish or comedic most RPGs are. You know, and most of them, you, you get shot with an arrow or something, and you're like, whatever, that's D6 damage. No big deal. <clears throat> like, in reality, you or one of your buddies takes one hit with an arrow, and it, it should be demoralizing for the entire party. And and this game just does that beautifully, and, and not just the stress mechanic, but almost every aspect of this game. Like, dungeon crawling should be just like a brutal slog that traumatizes everybody going through that dungeon, you know? If you watch your buddy die, it, it should stick with you. And yeah, I, I like what you said. Stress, it's almost just a secondary uh, hit point meter. But yeah, one, once you get somebody who uh, hits that first level and they, uh, I think it's called testing their resolve, and then they start uh, you know, cursing the other members of their party <laughs> for missing, and then their stress starts skyrocketing, you really... That's when when the uh, like push your luck aspects really come through. Those are the moments where I'm like, I either got, I either have to be really close to completing this quest right now, or I'm just gonna bail because it's, it's all my guys are gonna get max stressed soon. And it's not just the snowballing stress that becomes an issue when these things start happening. When your party members start mouthing off, suddenly some party members will stop taking turns. Like if you have two classes that aren't super compatible, like someone will just pass. Like your healer can just say, nope, I'm out, pass. I'm not doing anything this turn. And suddenly you don't have a heal this round. And that can be, that can totally yep. wreck your plans. <laughs> that basically led to my entire party wipe when uh, I lost to the Necromancer. Yeah, like I said, for me, if, when that stress gets too high, that's that's usually when I uh, just abandon a quest. If if one guy is, if that cascade begins, it's just not worth it. Because then, even if they all survive, you got to go back to town. You got to spend at least uh, one week, you know, uh, sending them to uh, stress stress relieving activities like the bar or or meditating things like that. So they're they're really out. Uh, you know, at least one more week just from stress. No, forget about that week. Forget about the time commitment of fixing their stress level. <laughs> it is financially such a burden. It costs like and a, that. a thousand gold to send someone to the bar, send someone to pray for forgiveness, or to uh, send someone to the gambling den. These cures are super duper expensive. And we talked about the personality traits. Those can get locked in. You can also pay to have those removed, but that is even more cost prohibitive. And so, like, I just never did it. Like, all these people, like, became insane. I'm like, well, they're probably going to die in the next run anyway. So I just rolled with it, and I decided to save my money for <laughs> buying provisions so I could try to survive the dungeons. Yeah, for people who haven't played, um, if you if you finish a week or your quest and go back to town, all your hit points are maxed out. The stress stays. And if you don't pay to reduce it, it, it stays a long time. I think it drops by like, uh, what is it, 10, 10 stress per week if they just sit there doing nothing. So you got to pay thousands of gold every week uh, for your stressed out heroes to get back to normal. I thought, well, that... and for some of them, it'll go up if they're because they'll have the negative trait of antsy, where if you don't have them doing yeah. something when they're in town, <laughs> then they actually get stressed because they can't stand. So, like, it, yeah, I mean, there's. That's one of those negative traits that I would maybe sometimes take off if I knew that they weren't going to be active party members all the time. The stress is such a thought-provoking aspect of this game. I had several runs, especially early on, where I was just willing to sacrifice the heroes just because I needed those people to go so that my main guys could sit and hopefully reduce a little bit of stress without me having to pay for it. Granted, I didn't have any wipes in those instances, but I had some pretty bad runs with those teams that were just basically sent out to die.
And does it uh, did it affect how you guys approach battles? Like I targeted the uh, the stress inducing monsters first in, in just about every fight whenever I could. Um, not necessarily. I mean, I I went for the squishiest people first. Like it depended on like who I had. My favorite character. Sure. Uh, I took a lot of guys that could target the back rows. So I went after those squishy guys mostly because I equipped myself to tackle those back guys first. So I I would try to... It would either be whoever the healer was or whoever was, like, pumping out a lot of stress because especially when you're up against the fish people... Like their healer can really heal those people back, and so if you got someone almost dead, and oh, oh wait, they got all their HP back. <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> uh, and, and it just really lengthens those battles, uh, and the stress starts to compound then at that point too. So, um, I don't know. It, it's 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 interesting how it all works together. I think, and I don't know if we wanted to talk about like the town stuff now. I think it was important. To go through and especially if they were your characters that you were going to depend upon to spend the money on those things to get those people back to good health because then you're able to level them a lot faster if you're able to get that stuff taken care of and if they have negative maladies so one of the things i ran into was that Two or three of them could only go to the gambling den, which meant that I, I couldn't take care of that. So I'd have to send one of them to the sanitarium to get rid of that so that I could actually move them around yeah. different places so that I was getting rid of stress more efficiently. I disagree. I wanted that gold to uh, buy torches and food and <laughs> and a lot of bandages because I got stuck with a cultist as my healing and they have a chance to inflict bleed every time they heal. Yes, yes, the occultists are rough that way. So, Joey, you talked about the stuff in town. Let's set that up real quick. In between dungeon dives, you manage the family estate, and this entails recruiting new heroes, upgrading the facilities in your estate, recovering stress, upgrading gear and combat abilities. Uh, There are only so many heirlooms that you earn in these dungeons to uh, upgrade your facilities. What did you guys prioritize? I uh, I did the guild in blacksmith just because that's uh, seemingly the best way to upgrade your heroes. Blacksmith, you can upgrade their armor and weapons, of course. You do more damage and take less. Uh, the guild upgrades each class's abilities, and of course, that's uh, that's the main one of the main ways to advance your characters. Beyond that, I mostly just upgraded the the things that reduce the gold cost because, as I mentioned, uh, like managing your finances is also one of the most critical. Aspects of this game. That's exactly what I did too. And just a quick clarification: when you upgrade your character's armors, that's also how they get more hit points. So their ability to dodge goes up, their hit points go up. There isn't really a defense stat in this game. I don't believe it's all hit points and chance to dodge. Mm-hmm. Joey, where did you prioritize your resources in town? So, it, I I was kind of especially the like the first time I was going through it for this podcast, I was kind of all over the place. So that's one of the things I changed quite a bit. Uh, I think early on, I would, the first couple of things I'd upgrade were my stagecoach so that I could recruit out of a group of three people to start with instead of just two. And then so that I could get up to 17 people in my stable if I needed it, as opposed to the starting lineup of 10, because having extra variety or people that would be there so that if 
I lost people on a run, I could try to get them up and running very quick uh, was one of the big things. Yeah, that's one of the regrets that I had with the game is that I didn't upgrade the stagecoach to get more people into town right away because uh, I kept it at two, which I think is the beginner level, and it didn't give yep. me a lot of options. Like, I couldn't get many healers, and I just wound up with these wacky party configurations, and it's just frustrating when you have, like, two of the same dude roll in town. It's like, all right, great, now I have two jesters. Oh, great, now I have two more highwaymen. All right, great. And it, out of 28 weeks, that probably happened to me four or five times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like... The randomness of that can be tough. <laughs> yeah, if you're waiting and you need a specific type or want a specific type, you can go weeks without getting it and just be stuck uh, playing with the classes you don't like or classes that you don't really need at that moment. I also ran into an issue where I had about half of my roster leveled up, and so like I couldn't send them to one of the big dungeons because I didn't have a healer that was quite ready yet because my healers had some real rough goes in this game uh and so like you can't take any of those level three heroes into a beginner level dungeon and i tried taking one level zero healer into a level three dungeon and they got killed and that was the end of my first trip to try to get the necromancer they got like one hit on a crit it's like oh awesome sweet well return to town with what heirlooms i've managed to grab so far and try it again i'm glad you mentioned that that's that's maybe my biggest complaint about the game is uh, those level limits and which quests they can go on. <sighs> I, th this is my biggest complaint last time is I'm at a point again, I feel like I've almost repeated my first experience of this game. I'm at a point again where my most of my heroes are level five or about to be. I can only do the hardest level dungeons and I just fail every time. I tried one, I tried one an hour ago um, I got into a, a fight in the first hallway. They nearly killed one of my dudes. I made it to the first room. They they sent him to death's door, and I just bailed. Like, I got, got into one room in the hardest level of the dungeon and had to get out of there. And that's exactly how it went last time, and I don't know how to push through this wall. Have you considered getting better at games, Patrick? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm dominating, man. Like, <laughs> my, my op, I've got 18 level four or five heroes like i haven't had a death for weeks and weeks and now i can only do red quests or hardest level quests and i you know you you bail out that early and you've lost so much money on gear you do that twice in a row and now you've <laughs> you're you're the medieval warrior equivalent of bankrupt and i just don't know how you continue <laughs> at that point in this game what kind of uh balances did you guys keep in your bank account so the like the first playthrough that was botched for me, uh, not much. I would be like in the hundreds, uh, if not <laughs> less. Like when I'd leave for a run, and I'd be like, "Hopefully I don't die because I'll have no freaking money next time." Uh, this time, where I'm at now, I'm actually at twenty six thousand gold in my account. Uh, now, before I go on this next run, I'll have to buy equipment to go on it. But I've actually been doing a lot better job of having money on hand and only spending money on the things that I desperately need to. I've also had some, like, really good luck with some of my runs, so I haven't had as much upkeep afterwards. Uh, like, I had... After I beat the second boss, I only had one person that had, like, had to have their test their resolve and needed to go somewhere and get 
their sanity cleared off. Everybody else was good to go again. And I don't know if I just like just had the right group against those people or what happened. But uh, yeah, like things have been going extremely well so far on this playthrough. And uh, the thing that I'm running into trouble with, though, because like you guys said, the guild and the blacksmith were the things that you leveled up first. And so I went to the blacksmith and I leveled up my weapons one level. But then I can't get enough of the scroll type of heirlooms <laughs> to level up the my blacksmith anymore. And so I've been trying to scrounge as many of those as possible so that I could upgrade to the next level of defense from all of those. But it's been impossible to find enough to get to that point. And so I think that's one of the things that I'm running into is like trying to find which areas I need to go to to get that stuff so that I can level that up. You can uh, you can exchange heirlooms. It's a pretty brutal exchange rate on the... I was playing it on Xbox. I think you're playing it on PlayStation. Yeah. If uh, I click on, I believe, the left stick while I'm in town, there's a little down by the, uh, the icons that show how much of each heirloom you have. I think there's a stick indicator. And if you click that, you can choose which heirloom you want to trade in. So, like, I got just boats and boats and boatloads of shields. And so yeah. I started turning those into the other things that I needed to upgrade because there aren't as many paintings, there aren't as many uh, journal entries, and I forget what the fourth one is. It's like yeah. a head well, sculpture. Shields and the busts, like I'm getting tons of both of those, and I haven't been finding like much of the paintings or the scrolls. Yeah, same here. And so And so that's like, that's where I'm like running into the difficulties of trying to boost those people or to boost the defense up on there. Otherwise, yes, I think the guild is really important because that's where you're able to customize your crew to do exactly what you want each person to do. So making sure you have the four abilities so that they can get there, because especially early on, I think the most difficult thing you have is so, so each of the abilities can be done from a different spot in your order from either the front to the back. Right. And so I was running into lots of problems early on, and I'm guessing most people do at the start. You have lots of people that are really good in those one and two spots. You have your ranged people like the highwaymen that are really good in that number three spot. You have very few people that can do much of anything with what you base <laughs> recruit off of in that final spot, other than the Vestal who could just heal from there. And so like until you start to move stuff around it gets really difficult to maximize your effectiveness in there. And that's where the guild really helps you because you can unlock new abilities for people and then level them up uh, and then change those out on the character card. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that's the most important one, but I do think it's important depending upon your party makeup to make sure that you're leveling up your stress relief areas accordingly. Also, so for instance, I end up having a lot of people that have the gambler, negative trait and so i opened up a second gambling den so that i can have two of them there and i've removed gambler from a couple of people also so that i can i can make sure that i have enough stress relief if i do have a session where all four people have to come back and go there or somebody has to go to the sanitarium to get a disease healed and then after that have to go get stress done so and so yeah i think it's still important to put money into that but you I prioritized that too much, I think, in my first playthrough. And so the second playthrough, it was focusing on those other things and then opening up what I need to as I needed it um, has been what I've been focusing on this time, which I think is which I think is really neat. 
I'm not generally a big fan of base building in games. Like there are very few games where the base building really like gets it gets its hooks into me. This is one where I think it is done exceptionally well. I love this aspect of the game. Like the dungeon diving is awesome and like we're all there to kick monsters in the buttocks. But uh, I think this is something different and it gives you some really thought-provoking decisions to make and just how you want to commit your resources because if you don't have a plan like you're gonna be broke and then like suddenly you can't buy torches for your run and like my first two playthroughs you may as well just unplug it and throw your xbox into a lake because you're not progressing anymore <laughs> yeah it's a very good example of limited resources have you guys as you guys have touched on they uh you only have so much um most of your uh, most of your buildings aren't going to get super high upgraded, so you really have to focus on on what you can afford and when. And even you know, even after you buy it, like we've talked about, you know, I don't know if you guys found the same thing, but you certainly can't afford to like upgrade your armor at the blacksmith and then upgrade the armor on everyone in your party. You have to you have to pick and choose who's going to get those first upgrades. Yeah, I I did a lot of picking and choosing, also with the abilities, like. I didn't spend a lot of time making sure I had the f exact four abilities I wanted in the party. Like, I would focus on one. Like, I'd make sure everyone had at least one thing that I really wanted them to do in the dungeon. Like, uh, the Jester has an ability where he attacks positions two and three of the enemies and inflicts bleeds. So, like, I always made sure that I had that and that I upgraded that as much as I could. Or the Plague Doctor has the grenade that hits the back two people. Or, uh... I think the Abominations are a tank and they have an ability that hits the first two enemies. So, like, I really focused on those things that uh, could hit more than one opponent, and I would level those up as much as possible to try to just maximize damage as quickly as possible. Yeah, games are fun. Uh, let's. We've talked a bit about the different types of heroes that you can recruit. There are a total of 16 playable classes here. Let's spend some time talking about our favorites and what combos we like, we, what combos we liked using in the dungeon. Patrick... You're the most experienced. Why didn't you start us off? <laughs> uh, we talked about healers. Uh, Vestal, I would say, is the most essential, in my opinion. Um, I, it's not fun or exciting. You just essentially heal, 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 and occasionally stun. <laughs> At least I do. But uh, you've got to have that because, uh, as, as has been mentioned, it's, it's, there aren't a lot of healing options. Um, there are really no healing items except food, which I barely count. I don't know if you guys count that, but healing two like hit one points. One HP. Yeah, or yeah. Two, yeah. Healing one or two hit points a pop, and then you just starve to death later as you walk through the dungeon <laughs> isn't really a good option. And uh, for people who haven't played it, you can't heal outside of combat with, with your healer's powers. So <sighs> so I would take the Vestal uh, in essentially every party when I went out. Uh, beyond that, uh, the front two positions, I tended to like uh, just kind of tank people the Crusader and the Hellion were my favorite two. Uh, in that tank role, I like the Crusader just for, uh, I don't know, sheer power and uh, ability to take a hit. Hellion I liked because they, they had the bleed they could infect uh, or afflict on the uh, middle two positions. And if they were in the front, they could do a pretty good attack against the uh, the back position of the enemy, which a lot of times is, is essential. And in the third position, um, as you guys have mentioned, there are some uh, more ranged figures. I like the Highwayman or the Plague Doctor, uh, kind of depending on the zone, uh, just for their ability to hit the back rows. And because the uh, the Highwayman has some bleed, the Plague Doctor has, uh, has Blight, which are both damage over time abilities, which uh, can come in really handy. 
Mernsey, what was your favorite class and combination? <clears throat> so, uh, I, so I, I really liked, we'll start from the back and work our way up. So for healers, I mostly just use the Vestal. It just, the most raw damage output or, or healing output that you can get out there, uh, was super helpful. As you mentioned before, the occultist makes it difficult because of the bleed issues that you have. Um, Let's talk about the occultist for a second. So <coughs> the Vestal, we all agree the Vestal is the best healer. The Vestal was yeah. by far the best and most useful healer. I only drew two in 28 weeks and one died oh, in the wow. first run. So I spent a lot of time with the occultist. The Vestal, what makes the Vestal good is that they have a high floor on their healing so like their healing starts out and i think it'll heal four to six points of damage and as you upgrade it the max will go up and i think the floor goes up so you always do heal at least four or they have another ability that'll heal everyone in the party one to three the freaking occultist his starts at like zero to twelve so like you could do and it (laughs) has a chance to inflict bleed so you could do zero healing and make your characters bleed and as you upgrade that like the ceiling goes up so you can get up to like 17 damage healed but the bleed gets bigger too so you could still do zero and suddenly you're bleeding two points per round three (laughs) points per round and if like you whiff on the healing and inflict bleed well you got to heal them again next time well you can inflict bleed again and guess what it stacks so if you're doing two points of bleed per time now you're doing four points of bleed per time so a good combination with that that I had going through on my first playthrough was the Plague Doctor has an ability that when you heal with him, it only heals for like one, but it will heal both the bleed and the blight. And it'll do it both for the person he's healing and himself, or herself actually, the Plague Doctor is a she. But uh, So I found that super useful when I had to use the Occultist as a healer. I agree, that's a nice encounter for it, but for me, the Plague Doctor has a very specific role. Like, they are throwing poison grenades at those back two guys, and if there's not two characters in the back row, they're throwing one grenade at one of the front two characters. So, like, I don't have time for them to heal. So, like, it was me, the Occultist, and a big stack of bandages every time I go through. <laughs> well, what's the most bandages you took on a run? <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> Seriously? That wow. Is, that is two full inventory slots. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've never brought more than six. <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, but you know, I just burned through them, needed them, because like you get into one of those big fights because the enemies can inflict bleed too, and that stacks. So like, you know, I just you couldn't let your people wither away like that, especially without like a guaranteed like decent heal coming in between. <laughs> I'd like to see your run, man. I can't imagine not having plenty of vestals available. And they have two through 26 weeks. Like, do you guys think it's, well, Tom's done it, but like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the classes have their own ability that heals themselves, which I never really experienced this, but you guys, do you think it would be possible to not have a dedicated healer in the party and just to uh, give each class you're using its own like self heal thing? So, uh, basically so the other healer I use, since I only have one Vestal right now, is the Antiquarian. It just has the heal of one heal, and then boosts the defense percent against Blight and Bleed. And so I've been able to be successful with that, because everybody else is just pumping out enough damage. And then I'll try to bring extra Anti-Venom or extra Bleed, or our Bandages, to help with that. Now not 12 of each, like Tom was able to do, but... <laughs> but enough anyway to help with that uh if i needed to but otherwise i found that 
I found I was able to make it work, but you just have to have a lot of damage output, and you have to just be able to wipe stuff off the board as fast as possible. Uh, and then also having stun on somebody helps with that, because then you're putting somebody off. And if you're doing stuff like that, if you're doing like a damage output first, you need to make sure you have your torch like at full almost the entire run, because then you have a higher chance of surprising the enemies when you go against them, yeah. and less of a chance of being surprised, which means you get the first attacks, which means if you can take them out before they go at you, less of a chance of you getting bled. So so it's kind of like if you can really get that DPS out there fast, you could make it work. I don't know if once you get into the harder things, you can really go without having some semblance of healing in there. Yeah, I'd say you can do it, but just be ready to watch all those characters die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can get through a couple of rooms, grab some heirlooms, and then reset the next week and hope that there's a Vestal in the Sage Coach. Uh, for me. So, my... so those are my healers. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, I also did. I oh, In the first run, also, I had one time where I had two Crusaders, and so I had one that was just doing damage and one that was set up since they have two heals that was just healing, also. That kind of worked. Um, otherwise, then it was the Plague Doctor or Highwaymen as my ranged attackers, almost always. If one wasn't in the party, if my Highwayman Han Solo wasn't in the party, <laughs> my, my Plague Doctor Swarm McDonald was in the party. And so it was just those two back and forth were, were in my three spot. And then the front two was flip-flopped across a, a few different ones. One of my favorite uh, like tank classes is the Leper. I think the leper is super good because bleed usually doesn't affect them because they have a pretty high bleed resistance and they have uh, an attack that attacks both front row people. And so if you have the leper in the front and he can just work on focusing on those front two guys, you can use the highwayman or the plague doctor and other people like spamming those status effects on the back people and hopefully you clean them up. And then it would be either the crusader or the man at arms that I would use in like that second slot slot or mix and match those two back and forth um, to like keep attacking the people in front as much as possible. And so those were the classes that I ended up using the most. I also like the flagellant, which is a DLC uh, class. Uh, that one's also good because it's almost always immune to bleed because you know, that's what they do to themselves. <laughs> you know, and mine was named Isaac after the character from Castlevania. Yes. And so, so yeah, I, I, I really like those combinations of people. Um, I also like the Hellion, like you said, the Hellion I think is really good. Yeah. Plague Doctor was my favorite. I've already talked about them a lot. They did a lot of poison and you could stack poison. So it could be a really big game changer, especially against like armored foes. Like you can't always hack your way through everyone. And, uh, the Plague Doctor with inflicting Blight on as a damage over time that stacks was just super duper yes, useful. <clears throat> the runner-up for me was the Vestal. Talked about them plenty. Gotta have healing. Without healing, your run is doomed. The second runner-up for me was actually the Jester. I thought they were surprisingly versatile. My Jester did my best bleed damage, so I loved pairing them with the Plague Doctor. So the Plague Doctor would hit the back two characters the jester would hit the middle two characters with bleed so that third spot would really get they get hit by two different stacking damage over times and then when they get cleared out the fourth person moves up and i'm doubling up on them again with the jester were you able to pull off like the whole 
build up to the finale and then the finale to do all of the extra damage or did you find that too difficult especially with like all the movement stuff where the gesture does some attacks it moves up in the order it does other attacks it moves all the way back in the order uh, were you did you do much with that or did you mostly just focus on that attack the two and do bleed i was completely focused on the bleed because you need specific abilities lined up i don't know if it's four abilities but finales ability one ability solos another ability i think there's yep. two more that build up towards the finale and i just i could see it paying off on a boss but there's so many fights before you get to a boss i felt like that would just be cumbersome to manage all of those just to try to set up for one big hit in a crucial moment yeah no it, it's tough it is tough but once you do get like the finale off and you've at least gotten some of that damage built up to make it stronger it can be extremely powerful against heftier foes yeah if i go back to it i'll have to check it out with the jester i also like the uh arbalest just a generic crossbow dude his abilities aren't particularly interesting but it was nice having artillery in the back row like he pumped out pretty good damage he could mark enemies and then he'd do more damage against them uh that was crucial for a couple of the bosses that i fought i think out of the four bosses i took down i had the arbalest for three of them and my favorite party, going from front to back, was Leper as the Tank in the front row, uh, followed by the Occultist, who was pretty versatile in his positioning. The Jester would go third, because uh, that's where their bleed damage as far back as they could be, and then the Arbalist in the back spot for me. So I liked, a lot of my damage came from the back, and my Leper was up front, healing himself and getting constant bleed stacks from the Occultist, while the back two guys were trying to clear out everybody. Yeah. Uh, some of the enemies you're trying to clear out are bosses. The first, I mentioned this is my third playthrough of this game. The first two playthroughs, I fought a total of one boss. I went up against the <laughs> Necromancer's Apprentice and he wiped the floor with me. I'm like, ooh, these bosses are freaking difficult. So like, I just completely like avoided them. I focused on short things to try to build up my heirloom so I could build up my town, so I could build up my heroes, so then I could go get the bosses. And I wound up running out of money and both of my first two playthroughs just kind of petered out. This time for the show, I'm like, well, I can't avoid this experience, so I guess I'm going to have to try some. Uh, and I wound up taking down four of the bosses, which I'm pretty proud of. There's a boatload more behind them, but uh, I was pretty proud of this accomplishment. Which uh, which bosses did you face that were the most challenging? Joey, do you want to lead us off here? Yeah, so um, I, I, I have... I ended up buying a version of the game on PS4 a while back that had all the DLC included with it. And so one of the things I didn't notice when I started up my run was that there's the Crimson Court, which is one of the DLCs. And when you add that when you're starting the game, a pop-up comes up that specifically says this isn't something that you should do with your first playthrough because it will make things much more difficult. <laughs> I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize how it made things more difficult until I started over and uh, realized things were a lot better. But basically what it does, one of the things that it does is it will intersperse bosses randomly into some of your runs. And so both times that I was trying to get to the Necromancer... I ended up running into the collector first and I don't know if that one is specific to the DLC or not, but basically it's this guy with like this sort of like beaker head thing. Uh, and what he would do is he'd call out these three like floating skeleton embryo things in front of him. Once they're dead, he just calls them out again. 
And so if you don't have somebody that can just pepper the back row with damage, you basically can't kill him and you're going to get wiped. And so having this prolonged boss battle before you get to a prolonged boss battle <laughs> basically meant I wiped against him twice uh, with my full party and lost countless other heroes and a couple of other runs because I would bump into him. And so he was by far the worst boss that I bumped into multiple, multiple times. I had some issues with the Necromancer as well. I uh, The first time I went to get to go up against the Necromancer, I had a Vestal in my party. They got critted. They died in like the second room. It's like, oh, well, this run is doomed. Back to town. Uh, the next time I had... I think I lost both my Vestals to the Necromancer because I brought in a level zero Vestal and they got critted and they got wiped out. It's like, oh, well, this run is cursed. The third time, I finally made it to the Necromancer and my first two party members were the Leper and the Occultist and they were just getting wailed on because the Necromancer will summon three skeletons in front of them and they are just slashing away with their sword. And I was doing bleed after bleed after bleed after bleed on the Necromancer. I had him down to the very sliver of health left when my uh, my leper went down. And then, in short order, the occultist went down. I'm like, can I last long enough for him to bleed out? I think I was one hit point short. I was so, so close. And then I wound up with my first wipe of the game. It's like, oh, well, let's go record about this fun, fun game. <laughs> the the bosses i think are the uh the best areas where uh, like knowledge and preparation and and party makeup is most important in this game uh like for an example i don't know if you guys fought the hag with the stew pot but uh yeah the the front two rows are uh just a big pot which is essentially a uh infinite hit point item and the hag is in the back two and she will grab one of your people and throw it in the pot and they slowly die. They just take it's it's a couple damage, but it's every action they're taking a couple damage. And you can hit the pot and do enough damage to get your person out, but the pot will never ever die. So the first time I fought the hag, I had two crusaders whose main attack only attacks the front two the front two rows, and then I had a, like I think a houndmaster and a vestal. So only the houndmaster could attack the hag. Well, one, one of the hag's abilities heals. So with that party, I would say it was impossible to beat the hag. Uh, ran away, you know, gave up on the quest, went back, uh, chose my party specifically to, to fight that, you know, with some damage over time and just made sure people could hit the back row. Went back in there and just mopped the floor with her. So some of the bosses can, can seem super difficult, but I think once you play them uh, and, and know their weaknesses, that really helps out quite a bit. The Necromancer has no weaknesses, for the record. <laughs> or did you guys face, like, the, I think it was the nine-pound gun or the, the giant cannon thing? No. No. Okay. Not in this game, anyways. <laughs> Again, it, it's a big cannon that has this uh, boom attack that hits, like, your entire party for 20 damage. But Oof. there's a, uh, there's just, like, a regular dude in the back who lights the cannon. So again, you have to be able to hit the back row. And if you can just, you know, the, that guy will keep coming back no matter uh, how many times you kill it. But it doesn't have a ton of hit points. So if you just have enough people that hit the back two rows, 
you target that dude every time he comes back, then the cannon will never be able to shoot you. <laughs> so it goes from uh, killing pretty much any anyone in your party in two hits to to virtually a non-existent threat, just depending on if you have the right party makeup. Well, speaking of party makeup, how much did you guys like diversify your attacks going into each run? Like I always made sure that I had someone that could attack each spot, and like my basic composition was front two people hit the front two spots and back two people hit the back two spots yeah i felt like i uh, uh I unfortunately just kind of got stuck in what was working so i would do kind of the same thing over and over bring the same type of people i tried to mix it up i got this cool thing where the uh, the man at arms gets all these bonuses from the fourth row but from that position all he can do is buff your party and debuff the enemies. And I, I took that out on a couple runs, and it it always seemed to make uh, battles last longer than, than they would have normally, which you know just means more damage and more uh, more stress for your party. And I, I just couldn't make that work, so I, I stuck to what worked for me just pretty much over and over. Yeah, and I, uh, I mostly just stuck with what had been working. There was times where I had to try to improvise because I just didn't have people. And it usually didn't go well. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways where you can mess around with it. Like, for instance, you're using the occultist, which means your healer isn't in the back row. And so then that frees you up to do more damage from the back row. And so I think there's there's ways to do that. Like, I guess when I had the, crea the crusader as a healer, like he was kind of in the third spot. So then making sure I had somebody like that, the houndsman then at that point was good to have because then you could attack anything from the back row which was pretty helpful uh with with him being in your third spot as the healer and then hopefully having your damage dealers otherwise being in the front two spots also still but uh one more boss i wanted to talk about real quickly i fought the siren i loved this fight i thought this was so fun <laughs> the siren's big is she'll charm your heroes i nearly wiped because i was fighting this and uh and she charmed my tank so like my best damage output was suddenly gone so like i'm stacking poisons on her i'm trying to stack bleeds on her and she's getting pretty low but then she takes my tank away i'm like oh god all i have are my squishy people left and they're all pretty banged up and i whiffed on a poison grenade when they're down to their last hit points and i'm like oh here it comes here comes my leper to kill me and i had a series of lucky dodges that saved my party and i was mm -hmm. able to finish off the siren it was just it was exhilarating it was such a close and well-balanced fight so i ran into something like that with the prophet uh, which is the second boss in the the ruins, and uh, basically instead of it being the damage that was killing me for him, it was the like insanity that was getting pumped up a bit. And I had a couple of really clutch dodges, and then a random crit from my vestal in the back row with like just the 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 random weird attack I was doing that ended up like sealing the deal for me. And so I don't know. That's that's really interesting too is having that because with the prophet, the whole thing is, is he's the only one attacking you. And he's really just attacking you with mostly like the sanity stuff. The other thing he does is he marks two of your people and these huge like boulders or bricks or chunks of like castle fall <laughs> on them and will take their HP down pretty much to nothing. And so then it's like, okay, frantically trying to heal this person back, heal this person back and then hit him as much as I can. The other problem with him is, is he's in the back row and he has these three just inanimate objects in front of him. So if you can't hit the back row, you have to start 
just munching this stuff away to try to get everything up so that your front guys can hit him. And so, I don't know, it was a really interesting fight that way also. So I think I think the bosses are pretty, they're pretty neat as to the different problems that they present. Uh, the Collector is still the biggest jerk face. I hate the Collector <laughs> with a passion. That's oh, a bad one. <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. Well, this is a very challenging and difficult game. Joey and I didn't get particularly deep in it. Patrick, you've gotten further. What do we view as our biggest achievements in this game? Uh, for me, I'll start this one off. Beating those first four bosses was tremendously satisfying for me because the bosses do have different and interesting mechanics. I'd only attempted the one boss before, so it was awesome to scratch some of those off. Also, the first time I beat a long dungeon, there are three different lengths of dungeons in this game. There are short dungeons, there are medium-length dungeons, and there are long dungeons, and the first time I took down that long one was awesome because, you know, you buy all these supplies going in, which chew up all your inventory. Then you're finding all this loot. It's like, all right, here are two busts that I can use to upgrade my town, but I don't have an inventory spot. Do I give up this uh, stone that's worth 250 gold? Do I give up three bandages, which could potentially save the life of a hero? Do I give up the shovel? I don't know what's up ahead. Like, there could be rubble blocking the way, and it's a lot of stress if you don't have the shovel in your inventory. So like, just overcoming that long dungeon was a nice... I felt really good that I was able to accomplish it. Oh, that's a good comment on the uh, the limited aspect of, uh, of your inventory, which uh, we've, we've slightly touched on. Um, I think you get... I don't remember exactly how many slots you get, but uh, you need to fill half of it with, with supplies and gear, which of course means then you can carry less treasure. And like Tom said, that's, that's one of the better uh, push-your-luck aspects in this game is do you... You know, do you dump a shovel or a bandage to take some jewels or some busts home with you? And they, they even have that great quote where the guy says, uh, you know, packs laden with loot are often short on supplies. And that's uh, it. <laughs> and it's right, because you have to decide, are you going to risk dying to bleed or blight so you can bring more treasure home with you? Yeah, I had countless times where I had like three anti-venom left and I was just like, okay. Do I just toss this to grab this onyx? (laughs) Or more so it was like, okay, heirlooms are here. Now I really have to think, okay, do I take this? Also, here's a question, and I wasn't 100% sure. The journal pages, are those actually good for anything, or am I collecting them for no apparent reason whatsoever? Yeah, you can either, you can like right-click to read them, or you can go into the Ancestors' Memories in Town. I think there's 30 to get the complete set. Do you get anything when you get the complete set? Probably an achievement or a trophy based on what system you're playing on. Because <laughs> each one of those takes up one whole spot on its own. And, like, I, I, I'm always so torn. Like, I'll read it, and it's like, hey, that's an interesting little thing. Somebody else didn't make it very far in this game hmm. like me. Uh, <laughs> 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 but it's like, gosh, it takes up so much space. <laughs> and so that'll be usually the thing I chuck. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if heirlooms pop up, it's just like, okay, well, I'll grab that again some other time, maybe. And another thing about the inventory management, there's a finite amount of gold you can carry in each space. You can carry yes. 1,750 gold, unless you have antiquarian, which bumps it up to some other level. And then, like, if you get more gold than that, which you frequently do, it takes up another inventory slot. It's like, it's, it's very hard to balance all of those. You get these gems, which are worth more, but, like, 
you know, each different type of gem takes up a different spot. So if you have like an onyx, if you have an emerald, if you have uh, a citrine, one of them, like those, yeah, citrine, yeah. each stack of those takes up, they're worth more than gold generally, but they take up an inventory spot. So like, is it better to have the 1750 gold or to have a stack of citrine in your mm-hmm. inventory? It's, I mean, generally, inven- we talked about this a lot with Dragon's Dogma. Inventory management just isn't fun. But in this game... I think it's twelve slots. It's very, it's a very manageable system, and it's, uh, it's how much, how much are you willing to risk damage to your heroes to get an extra heirloom to upgrade your guild back home? Yeah, I actually think that this is the best version of encumbrance that's ever existed in a game, and the only one that's actually allowable in my <laughs> mind because it actually is part of the game and it leads to decision making that's key within the game, and so I think, I think that. I think that's important with this. Um, One thing I will say, since, you know, this is part of the Game Pass Forever segment, this game is really cumbersome to manage on a controller. Oh, my God, Uh, yes. It's, uh, like, I could only imagine how nice it would be to just use a keyboard and mouse, or just a mouse in general, because, okay, there was one run that I still survived, but it was a medium length one where I was trying to move stuff around in my inventory to be able to get something down into my pack. And I threw away my campfire. And so it's like, (laughs) all right, well, I guess I'm not camping. We're just going to have to forge ahead dudes. Good luck with this one. It's just like, there was countless times where I'd accidentally throw something away that I didn't mean to because I would get confused or I'm like trying to maneuver things and decide where I want to put something and then accidentally exit out of that screen and you lose that loot forever. And it's just like, so yeah, there was countless times where the controls, like, I think they do as good of a job as they can with as many layers and menus as there are. But even like on the, on the city map where you have to hold down the right trigger in order to highlight different people for different things, it's just there's layers and button presses combinations to be able like you need a freaking doctorate in how to use a controller in order to figure out how to put freaking trinkets on your people for crying out loud. Something as easy that's just like, hey, take this little thing, put it in one of the two slots you have. Nope. Hold down right trigger. Make sure you're in the trinket menu when you do that. Hit square. It's going to pop up just half the window there. Hey, don't try to highlight anything else when you're in that window because you can't effing do that. Just put the trinket on, exit out of the trinket window, then you can see what other things (laughs) that this person has. It's just like, it's so cumbersome. Burns, this is, as you mentioned, the Game Pass Forever segment, so let's get this squared out of there. Can you get the equivalent on the Xbox controller, please? Please? Can you, uh, is it uh, is it Y or X? Uh, it might be X. Honestly, I don't know. It's X. It's X. I just had to. I just stood up to see my Xbox controller. It's the X button. Yeah, it's a great point, Burns. It uh, there are certain people that just won't be able to play this game on console because they won't be able to like get the controls down. Like once, once you get a feel for it, it's like almost having a different language with your hands. And like once you get a feel for it, you can do it. But I, for a casual player, that's that's a non-starter. If if you have the opportunity, play this game on PC. I mean, if you have Game Pass, I assume it is on Game Pass on PC. I don't know. I own it on Steam, so uh, I guess I should have double-checked that before the show. But a great point, Burns. It's very hard on controller. Like, you can fight monsters, you can select abilities well enough, but there is a lot of managing party and inventory that will just be horrible, frankly, on a controller. 
Patrick, you played, you said something like 90-some weeks of this game. What is your crowning achievement in Darkest Dungeon? Um, mine has yet to come. Mine is going to be defeating one hard mission. I'm going to... <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to do it if, if all uh, 18 of my level 5 heroes die trying. I am going to uh, I'm going to finish off one of those hard missions. I'm not so sure you will. So what's your runner up for your most uh, proud accomplishment? <laughs> <laughs> my my last playthrough, I think I made it to week 52 without without losing a hero. I lost a hero on week 2 or 3 this time. <laughs> I technically haven't lost a hero yet. I'm on week 11, except for the four newbies that I threw into the darkest dungeon to die. Um, so I'm not really <laughs> counting those. Otherwise, I'm still doing all right. Sure. <laughs> uh, Burnsy, did you look up uh, Game Pass on PC? Is yeah, yeah, Darkest Dungeon is on Game Pass on PC. So, so if you have Game Pass Ultimate, yeah, PC is definitely the best experience. I've played both, and it's it's really not even close. Uh, Bernsey, did you have another crowning achievement, or should we cap off our thoughts here? I, I, I just think, in general, the game is really good at creating sort of that emergent narrative, since there's not really a ton of narrative hooks to dig into this game otherwise. But, like, you know, that time when, you know, you just needed to get out of that battle, and all of a sudden, you had three crits in a row, and you're just done with it. And it's just like... That type of stuff has been really interesting and it's a lot of fun. And like Han Solo is a crit machine. He's shooting people left and right and just dropping them like flies. And it's just like, all right, that's Han Solo. He's wrecking <laughs> face with the blaster. It's awesome that you brought that up. Uh, so many people are so into like the emergent storytelling of the battle royale genre. Like the, the uh, stories that the narrative that comes out is when you and your buddy like flip the Jeep and you escape by the skin of your teeth. This gives you an opportunity to have those types of moments in a single player experience, which I think is pretty neat because like I have my battles with the bosses that I recounted here and it, the game does a really good job of like giving you memorable moments that you can hang your hat on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's definitely one of the strong strong suits of this game. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts and takeaways on this game. I mean, I love this game. It's really, really hard. It's also a lot longer than I thought. I think I must have put 20-some hours into it this playthrough, and I have barely scratched the surface. Like, I have not beaten a medium difficulty dungeon yet, and, you know, apparently it gets a lot harder after that. Or Pat just gets worse at the game. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just try it, man. I can't wait for you to try a hard-level dungeon. <laughs> oh, that sounds just super. Patrick, what are your closing thoughts on this game? Um, I love it, too. Uh, the the narrator, I think uh, we barely touched on. I love the narration in this game. Yeah, um, that's that's a good point. The overall presentation on this game is phenomenal. It is drawn in like a gothic horror style. The art is phenomenal. The narrator is phenomenal. Like it is one of the most like stylish and cool games that I can think of. It's awesome. It looks and sounds just amazing. Yeah, like you said, I, I I mentioned earlier, I really appreciate the uh, the approach they took to dungeon crawling here. They made it dark and they made it brutal. Um, the narrator really adds to that. You know, when you get a critical hit and you kill something or you you defeat a party of monsters, and he'll he'll say these great quotes. They get like foolish horrors <laughs> brought low and driven into the mud. And I just feel like like you can feel the hate that 
that there is for these monsters that plague the land who are killing your friends. <laughs> Trinkets and baubles, paid for in blood. Yes, yes, <laughs> stuff like that. Right, right. I think that the narration is great. Um, it's it's really difficult. I love that the uh, the kind of customization you can you can use your party uh, of the different classes to, for whatever your play style is. I feel like if there's an area I can learn more, it's that because there are quite a few classes that I I just I don't know have have not been as successful with. Um, I, I'm a little worried that this playthrough is going to end in the exact same way my last playthrough ended, which is all my level five heroes dying trying to complete these hard quests and i'll be i'll be really disappointed if that happens again well is it uh is this a game where you could just grind to victory like could you keep doing those entry-level dungeons and keep getting heirlooms and then send those heroes off to die when they become level three and just upgrade your guild completely upgrade your blacksmith completely and go into the hard level dungeons with the highest gear or do you already have that and you just can't push through um, no, I, I don't have the highest stuff. It's possible. I've thought of that. Uh, the problem is where I'm at now. Like, I can only sacrifice really good heroes, and I'm uh, loath to do that. But I guess it's an option because I I can still gain another level at the, the blacksmith um, in weapons and armor. I think I can gain a couple of levels in the guild. So so there's there's certainly room to improve there. And that, that might be the only way because I can't even – I can't get through half of a hard dungeon without – people dying or having to bail to prevent them from dying well maybe that's the point like maybe uh, you're not supposed to be able to get through those dungeons yet like maybe you have to get in get through a couple of rooms grab a limited amount of heirlooms and loot and then get out is that a valid option i mean to just grind sections of these hard dungeons until you can push through i don't know like i said i, I just did one today and i I had to ditch out before completing the first room battle. And you, you don't get any loot that way, I can tell you that. And, you, and the, the, the money you spend on provisions, you know, that, that was a big net loss. Hmm. Well, at least I'll probably never make it to the end game, so I'll never feel this frustration for myself. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be sure to let you guys know the first time I beat one of these uh, missions. Can't wait. Bernsey, your overall thoughts and takeaways before I give my keys and tips for new players. Yeah, I so I, I think it's I, I think it's a phenomenal game. And I think the best thing about it is that every single aspect of the game kind of complements each other to mm -hmm. become a part of the whole. Like everything that you do is having an impact on your dungeon runs, which is having an impact on your 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 homestead which is having an impact then on your dungeon runs which is having an impact on your characters and it's just like all of this stuff kind of molds together and like once you get to the point where your people get traits and they start replacing other traits and you're like oh dang it i like that trait that you got rid of you stupid idiot you know and it's just like there, there's so much to try to like improvise around or there's so much that the game throws at you that changes the way that you're playing. So you can't always keep necessarily focusing on doing it the same way. And you also have to just keep evolving. It is difficult. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like difficult in like NES games difficult where it was just like, you have to know how this one Japanese man wanted you to play this game in order <laughs> to beat it. Like, I don't think it's difficult in that sense. I think it's just like, you have to learn how it all comes together and you really have to try to play to that as optimally as possible to beat it. Like a Dark Souls, like a Bloodborne. Patrick, your rebuttal to this not being as hard as NES games? 
<laughs> I think I think you guys should uh, keep playing until you get to a level uh, the, the hardest level thing. I I want to see if it's just me. I want to see if different party makeups have different success because it's brutal, man. And I don't know if you guys uh, we, uh you you must not have because you haven't been there, but they the the villains are so much harder or the bad guys they start moving you around more like their base attacks all do bleed or blight now like you're fighting the same creatures but every every attack they do now does something additional and and i'm sure you guys know if your party gets out of the proper alignment that's real trouble because you're just wasting a whole turn or two to get back into alignment and and now basic mobs just ruin your party configuration every battle it's 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 killer man can you counteract that with uh, more provisions? Like, if they're doing bleed and blight, can't you just bring in more antidote and more uh, bandages? Uh, yeah, you can bring that in. I, I wanted to Google. It's just a theory based on playing. I think the AI changes at those levels, too. They really seem to just target one person over and over and over. And that's almost the worst part, is in, in two battles, you've got three people who are full and one person who's on death's door. And that, that happens to me a lot, too, in these hard levels. Yeah, nothing you can do there. Like, if you don't have a full party, runs over. Like, just grab your yep. heirlooms and get out. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I wanted to do, I wanted to give some keys and tips for new players. Uh, if you've enjoyed what we've discussed about this game and you're thinking about taking on the darkest dungeon yourself, first off, expect your heroes to die. Like, you're not going to protect everyone. Don't get too attached. Like, you're going to lose people along the way. Uh, I also advise you to plan for the long game. Only upgrade the most important skills for your best heroes. Like, you need to have gold on hand. Like, if you can't buy provisions, your chances of successfully eating through a dungeon are severely diminished. And if you can't get the stress off your most important characters, again, your progress is going to be walled off. So be very choosy and try to save money as much as you can. And the last one that I had, be ready to escape from dungeons when you have to. Even if you lose your healer, like, if you can escape with the dungeon with anything with an heirloom with a stack of gold anything to mitigate the losses because if your party wipes you lose everything so just be ready to cut bait and run like if you mm -hmm. limp through the end of a fight like maybe it's time to go back lick your wounds and come back again because like you i think the way i was able to progress in this game was i very 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 rarely took a loss financially emotionally i had several gut punches <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my biggest tip is uh, we didn't talk much about or a ton about the attributes, and I, I largely ignored them. However, I think scouting is essential. Those are about the only ones where I would you can pay money to keep them on a character permanently, and it's really, really expensive. And in my opinion, most of the time, not worth it. Worth it. But uh, scouting is so critical because as you travel through these dungeons, uh, generally everything is a complete mystery. You know, when you're about to fight somebody, uh, if there's a trap. If there are you know obstacles coming up in the way, but uh, if you've got uh, scouting, there's a chance that you can see ahead and know exactly what's upcoming. So you can save your torches for right before the next battle, um, things like that. And uh, it, you know if you can get one or two people in your party that scout that particular dungeon, uh, it, it makes it so much easier in my opinion. So uh, really, really make sure you bring guys who can scout the dungeon you're at. Great advice. Mernsey, you have any tips? Or Don't be players? afraid to re-rack if you think you need to. <laughs> like, I, I have my third house, the, 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 the Trace Comas 
uh, household or homestead, uh, <laughs> which is which is going strong right now. Uh, so don't be afraid to just kind of restart, because uh, that's one thing I found is like I learned a lot, like failing <laughs> that first time. Like as much as I did, like I counted up, I had 14 people that had died in 14 weeks. <laughs> and so like uh, you learn a lot from that and it things go a little bit better in the early game uh, as you move forward. Now, granted, it's a lot harder the deeper you get in to restart uh, and maybe is a lot more prohibitive to going back to the game. But uh, don't be afraid to do that if you need to. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that was our discussion on The Darkest Dungeon. Great game. Super fun. It's not going to be yeah. for everybody, though. It is yep. a, Fantastic. It's a very fun dungeon-crawling game with a lot of other systems at play. Next month, we are going back to the roguelike genre. We are going to play Hades by Supergiant Games. In Hades, you defy the god of the dead as you hack and slash out of the underworld in this roguelike dungeon crawler from the creators of Bastion, Transistor, and Pyre gonna be a good time i played a little bit of hades on the switch it's a fun game i'm super excited that it came to game pass i'm a big fan of super giant too so i look forward to that segment it's gonna be good uh, you guys have any other thoughts you want to share before we get out of here no, I don't no. Think so. yeah it's a great game uh people people should play it it's uh it's usually on sale on steam i've really enjoyed it even if uh <laughs> it gets brutal at the end yeah word buy this game if you enjoy this content, please, back outside is overrated on Patreon. This standalone segment, Game Pass Forever, is tied to a specific tier on Patreon. You can back us for as little as $2 per month, but at $10 per month, you get an extra podcast from Tom and Joey and occasionally Patrick. Check it out at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. Until next month, stay inside, kids. <laughs>